So, but d does any ideological system necessarily have to also have a scapegoat? Or is it, because I've, I thought I've heard it that just like, there's always a scapegoat um, or a, a sublime object. And, you know, there's these different kinds of factors that are always present in an ideology. And you're saying, well, but the rightest form of enjoyment is just hyper-focused on this, on this uh, scapegoat. Or So I think if you were to ask Slavoj and Todd, I think they both would say, no, there can be a form of politics without a sublime object. Well, okay, here's the thing. There, here's the difference. I don't know if they would say you can have an ideology without a sublime object. You could have one without a scapegoat because the sublime object, I would argue, is not necessarily identifiable with the scapegoat. The scapegoat often gets the position of the sublime object, but it's not necessarily identical to it. So this is an like important distinction. Yeah. Like for consumerism, right? Consumerism can hang out like it'll put different things in the sublime position that aren't scapegoats, right? Consumerism would say, oh, if you just have the right collection of commodities, then you'll be happy. Right. And th things will be right. Things will be good. Well, that's that's an ideological obfuscation because I don't care who you are, not how much money you get, you're still a lacking subject, like in the strict Lacanian sense, that the moment you get what you think you want, then you want something else. And this is part of our basic psychoanalytic ontology is that we always desire something that we don't possess we desire absence we desire through the lost object not the things around us and anybody who collects anything knows how this works i don't care if you collect movies or stamps or books every time you get the the, the, the thing you had your heart set on it just goes on the shelf and then you want the thing that you did the, the new thing or whatever it's part of this logic of desire and so consumerism though tries to sell us on the idea that Oh, there's a there's a final commodity. If you just get this the last thing that fits into your commodity system, everything will be great. Okay, or it hangs out some sort of fantasy beyond just standard accumulation of commodities. So winning the lottery. If I oh my god, if I could just win the lottery, like oh my god, everything would be so good. So I think the the lottery win or having your your finished perfect system of commodities both of them are positioned in the sublime position but they're not scapegoats so again I, i'm just trying to make the argument that the sublime object though often a scapegoat figure also can be other things and it's i don't think consumerism the way it's traditionally functioned i don't know if consumerism has a, a strong figure of the scapegoat um, I think it, it tries to make the commodity itself the sublime object. The reason the reason I brought it up was because I was going to say, you know, the it, it would be those people who are who 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 have relative time energy and and use it to build their social and cultural capital um, as a career. Um, lording that over other people and seeing necessary and essential labor is beneath them. Um, 
who are invested in the reproduction of the system that gives them this upward mobility and these challenges and this achievement hierarchy and everything like that that they're they're gaining through. Let's say I'm I'm fine with that person being a scapegoat. I don't know. Like, and then I'm like, oh no, is that rightist? Oh no. I'll just say no. Here's the problem. I don't care if whoever is a scapegoat. Let say say they're doing something wrong or they actually are immoral. It doesn't matter because if the libidinal fixation is on that group or that person, it still, no matter how much somebody tries to avoid it, if that's where the libidinal fix is on, you obfuscate structural dynamics. You, the role of capital, the role of wage labor, the like. Those are still the key things. And so I yeah. actually think the scapegoat thing, like it is a distraction. It, 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 it always, I mean, if we're going to scapegoat something, let it be the system itself. But the whole point is that's like, okay, I, I get there's something fun in saying that, uh, at least for me, but to attack the system is precisely not to scapegoat. Like, man. And and that's kind of the, this this uh, this is where Zizek's Bartleby politics comes in. Yeah, because he's saying I've that's what Bartleby does. Because if if to give into the this you know the, the way that you know a, a time energy politics could be turned into a scapegoat politics, um, to, to wait, what I'm trying to say is Bartleby's. Uh, a Jesus Bartleby politics would be saying, I would prefer not to, to that temptation, right? It's saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to become libidinally invested in the, 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 the binaries that are maintained through this, this, uh, delightful, joyful hatred. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pure, it's a pure rupture. It's a pure break. So when he says I would prefer not to, the not to, you can you can word it as I prefer pure negativity. Now what that means is, and what Bartleby, okay, so we've already laid the groundwork to understand what Bartleby politics is. So and and I, I uh, really quick, I want to do a quick shout out to Anne in the chat and say thank you because she's read parts of uh, Melville's um, Bartleby the Scrivener to me. Um, on like five different occasions in the last month while we were driving places together and she was driving and reading at the same time. It was kind of crazy. Um, no, I was driving and she was, and she was reading it to me. And so we got through it and it's a really weird story. Have you read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read it when I w wrote the blog post. Oh, you did. Oh, that's good. I told Anna I wasn't sure if you'd actually read it. I, I, I was like, oh, I figured he must've at least looked at it, but yeah, I'm glad to hear you actually read it. So I love that you can get through a classic piece of literature in a relatively short time and that it's uh, thought provoking and and, at this, and and enjoyable, but also I would say weird, like uncomfortable in this in your stomach, like kind of a weird story. You don't you're like, what, what's wrong with this guy? Right. And so I'll tell you what I think is why the story creates that feel now couple things real quick one a lot of other important philosophers i believe derrida i uh, deleuze i think maybe agamben i'd have to go down the list i'm I, I this list somewhere 
all of them have had have done interpretations of Bartleby. And so, okay, I wrote a blog post called Zizek or uh, Bartleby, something like that. Bartleby politics, I would prefer not to, something like that. And then I wrote a sequel post called The Politics of si Silence, which nobody read that one, and I should have named it something else because nobody's, and that's my fault. I didn't, I, I should have called it Bartleby Politics Part 2 because it's a sequel post. Uh, um, I always intended to do a third one where I go through, I, I guess, Agamben or a Derrida or Deleuze and, and discuss their interpretations of Bartleby and how they relate to Zizek's. But as you and I know, Zizek's the one who's made this famous. So right. when, when you think of Bartleby's famous quip, I would prefer not to. You think of Zizek, and I mean, shit, he he wears it on T-shirts, which is, you know, <laughs> it's a motto it's of him. Well, so, and for people who don't know, there's this whole thing where uh, every everywhere Slavoj goes to speak, people show up and they give him T-shirts. So, you know, there's this whole th culture around the the T-shirts that people give him that he wears. When when we saw him in Athens, Georgia. Uh, he had that Academia t-shirt on. The Academia was the name of the venue where the event was taking place, you know, and he'll just, he'll just be like, oh, you know, thank you. And then he'll just put it on. And I think he probably travels without very many shirts when he, when he goes places because he gets so many shirts. So, <laughs> you know, which is awesome. Right, yeah. I want that. You know, I want, I want to get a lot of shirts. I like shirts. Shirts are awesome. <laughs> But uh, delusional, okay. delusional Bode Lacanian says, I would prefer not to, and time and energy are superpowers uh, in the PMC class. I would prefer not to, and time energy, time and energy are superpowers in, in, against. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. And uh, C6 says politics equal friends versus enemy, according to Schmidt. Yeah, and so I mean, but you know, he's a Nazi, so maybe, maybe when a when a Nazi tells you politics, I mean, what Todd calls rightist enjoyment or rightist politics, which we're calling scapegoating politics. Yeah, I mean, it's totally Schmidt's probably the great theoretical example of that. Yeah, he's the epitome of it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is he'll just go mask off and actually say it. A lot of I think liberals even just kind of presuppose um presuppose it so obviously there are thinkers who are trying to you know uh, uh pioneer or discover or aid the development of ways that could break outside of you know these these confining limiting self-undermining uh patterns and frameworks and you know the but people just kind of presupposing a state of war and that politics is just a friend-enemy distinction, and that, you know, and then being, like, quote-unquote political realists um, is obviously, like, a form of ideology that um, uh, fosters consent uh, in the existing state of things, even when, you know, a person says that they're against it. There's a, there's a way that yeah. this allows you to play within it, so, which is what we're ultimately... Saying, which is bringing it back around what Bartleby politics would be like. You'd say, no, I refuse to get libidinally invested in in war. In resistance. 
or yeah, or, or yeah. Like, so here's the thing, right? In this, so this whole thing about Bartleby politics, you'd be surprised how little Zizek says about it across all of his books. The main place where he talks about it is the final chapter, chapter six of the Parallax View. And here's here's the thing, right? Like what he says about Bartleby takes place against the background of all kinds of Lacanian ideas he's developed elsewhere. So part of it has to do with the concept of the act. Part of it has to do with subjective destitution. Um, part of it has to do with the night of the world. And what the or, fuck or is that? Artesian madness. I don't even know what that is. I'm saying, and at some point I want to get to all that. Suffice it to say for now, what Bartleby does and what makes him unique is that he's going against the idea of inherent transgression and he's going against what you're talking about, which for Zizek, he would call it the politics of resistance, which comes out of Foucault. Now, I've seen certain Foucaultians say, oh, well, this is something Foucault says, like in the history of sexuality at one point and maybe some other places. And then you can say, well, he doesn't actually think whatever it's attributed to Foucault primarily. And I think there are places in Foucault where this is true, where it's like what you're supposed to do is just resist the system in any way you can right? Just resistance is like an end of, of itself, even though it doesn't affirm this, it, it it would deny this, but like, or maybe it wouldn't. Um, that's something that I guess I should be, I should check on. But, the, but here's the point. Zizek sees the politics of resistance precisely in how we've been de describing inherent transgression or ideological disidentification if you become libidinally fixated on resisting the system, then, unbeknownst to yourself, you are libidinally invested in the system. Because if you enjoy resisting the system, you don't actually want to undermine the system because you enjoy resisting it. And what makes Bartleby unique when you read that story, he's not resisting his boss. He's not getting enjoyment from fucking with his, his superior, right, is, is, is the capitalist. You can tell, like, he's not libidinally invested in anything he's doing. And that's what makes it so weird. Because if you detected, like, a, like a, a chuckle or, a, like, a, a laugh or whatever, it's something in him where you're like, oh, see, he's, he's enjoying what he's doing. That's what makes it so weird the whole time. You're like, he's just, he's like a pure no. He's, he's just, I'm completely outside of this framework. I'm not going to affirm the system. And I'm not going to enjoy resisting the system. I'm a pure no. Like, I, I, I don't want any of this shit. And I'm not going to become libidinally fixated in opposing it. Like, I'm not even going to enjoy undermining it in that sense. Because, again, if you do that, then you're hooked on the system itself. So, that's where the Bartleby politics of preferring not to is... The politics of, I prefer a radical no. Not a no that resists and enjoys it, but a no that has no libidinal fixation in in this situation at all. Lecture, we're almost at the end of the first main section. So I'd like to get, like, we could maybe have some closure if we can get through this next next stretch tonight. 
yeah, I would like to, I'd like you to be able to get through preferably all of that. I mean, we'll, we'll just have to kind of make, make ourselves. To, make it, I mean, you got, you got a couple, like an hour or two more, an hour or two more. Look, who are we doing this for? We're doing this for ourselves. First of all, second of all, we're doing this for people who've got nowhere else to be. So of course there are people joining us live right now from Poland and we're at, and for this intermission we're actually going to to play Salamoon's uh video from uh uh now now I'm drawing a blank uh but we're going to play this video live um but we're being joined by people from all over the world live right now and people might have to go away and go do stuff but the main thing is is that we're doing this for everybody so that you can come back to it and listen to it when you've got the time, the energy, the attention to be able to do it. And one of the main ways that that ends up happening for our audience is at work. And the other is when playing games. And so our audience is mostly between the ages of like an overwhelming majority of us are between the ages of 24 and 44 and the and, and I think I think the overwhelming majority of us are either working full time or are the children of the kind of dads who are quote unquote really successful but now like they the, their form of love is, you know supposed love is trying to get you to do exactly what they did and, you know, make the same life choices that they did and, and lording their money over you <laughs> while doing it. That's the, that's the main, you know, the, the, and, and people are joining from work or while gaming and trying to go deeper with theory in a way that they've never done before. And we can kind of break from the normal confines of how a lecture or an interview or, uh, whatever, you know, an episode is supposed to be, and we can do whatever the fuck we want. And that's, you know, and this is in the Lacanian spirit, really, because his big battle um, with the establishment of his time um, was the fact that he was calling off, uh, what do you call them? Not, not at uh, sessions. He was calling off, oh, call he was calling off sessions at the point that it felt right to call off his session and they wanted him to do like the full 45 minutes or hour and a half or whatever that the person had signed up for and was paying for. And, and his thing was like, no, like sometimes the person says like the right thing and you can't respond. You just, you have to call it off right then because it'll ruin everything. It's the quilting point where if, if there's a, an important moment where an unconscious truth comes out throughout through free association or whatever, Lacan would cut it off there because it punctuates it. It serves as a quilting point where it organizes everything that was said before in such a way as to emphasize this high point where something important was unconcealed. Right. And so, instead, and that's the problem, right? They accused, of, oh, it's the short session. Not so much the short session, it's the punctuated section. Right. A session. It's the punctuated or quilted session where the the important thing that was revealed from the unconscious that's what gets highlighted through quitty so yeah trying to act like oh there's a set time um 
oh, it has to be 45 minutes. It has to be an hour. Well, his whole thing is like, why don't you end on the thing that is revelatory where that's the last thing? And because if you keep talking after that, then that important moment fades into obscurity. Right. And I was, I was kind of off uh, epic how our last conversation got quilted by the real when we got cut off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, when it got cut off, somebody in the chat was like, said that that was the most epic rabbit trail off into like just oblivion of the year and or something along those lines, you know. And look, we have the ability to cut the, cut it off when it feels right. You want to get through this. I want to get through it. We're going to get through it. I think that if we tell ourselves that we're not going to get through it, well, then we're definitely not going to get through it. If we tell ourselves we're going to let ourselves get off easy, then we're, you know. But look, who are we doing this for? Obviously, people who are able to join right now, that's awesome. But I, I expect most of you all will fall asleep or go on to some other thing and have to come back to this later. But you come back to it when you want to and when you have the disposable, you know, time to listen to it. And, you know, obviously you can speed it up or whatever. But like for me, I'm going to be reviewing all of these next time I'm doing manual monotonous labor. labor. Um, I like to say I, I, I try to avoid brain work and do labor work um because i want to be able to listen to things like this you know i've i feel like it helps with adhd learning like you have to do things a lot more you have to go over things a lot more um you know you, you can't just read it once or twice to take a couple of notes or whatever you have to keep going over things when you're multitasking but you can go over things again and again over the course of like years not just months years you know if with theory you're, you're not gonna be in a hurry i'm not in a hurry I mean, in a sense, we're in a hurry. We've got a lot of stuff that we're doing and trying to get through. But these conversations in the space that we've created here is not one where we're like, well, we're trying to get through it really fast or anything like that. Exactly. And so here's my thing. You know how many times I've listened and re-listened to episodes of Why Theory, which is Todd McGowan and Ryan Ingley's podcast. Um, it is my go-to podcast. And I, I've learned more from it than basically nearly anything else when it comes to Lacan and Zizek, et cetera. And for me, I always listen to the episodes in 20 minute, 30 minute chunks because when I'm out on a route, I'll just put it on while I'm driving. Yeah. And I listen to little chunks of each episode on my routes and stuff. So that, but here's the thing. Uh, and I want to I want to say this because I, there's one I saw and, and you I know you saw it too. One Lacanian said it was the, it was the only thing I've seen somebody say something negative about these streams where they're like, oh, you know, it's like it's sprawling, like or it it, it just goes too long. And basically, this person was saying, like, I, I, you and me or me or whatever, like we should be doing video essays. They should be really like 20 minutes or something real concise and he didn't like how these streams just go on and on but i'm like okay well fair enough if you you know it, but i love how why theory for me is just yeah it's broken up into episodes but it really is just one constant ongoing discussion and i love that like i've learned more from that conversational medium that co a conversational structure than from just like a bullet point video essay i love video point bullet essays right uh 
uh, bullet point video essays. They're great. And they, they're, they're often the best introductions to something you can get. But if you want to really absorb a theory, I don't care if we're talking Merleau-Ponty or Deleuze or Levinas or Lacan, whoever. You're going to have to get tapped into a much bigger, sprawling discourse to really understand where you're at with it. And that's what we're trying to offer is if people want to be able to just absorb, you know, this, this ongoing discussion of Zizek and Lacan, and at some point we'll get back to Baudrillard, great. And if they don't, then cool. But I think there needs to be these kind of options in learning where video essays have their place. Reading books obviously has, still has its place, and I don't think any, anything can beat that. Nothing's going to ever change that, yeah. Well, I, and I, I absolutely. Also know that nobody has their time and energy to be able to read books the way they to really learn shit and absorb it. So, yep. I, I, I think there needs to be these kind of ongoing seminar-like discussions of all of these great thinkers for people to really get tapped into what the theory's about. In an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time-energy critique of any of those things. This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're gonna be all over the area there, hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state phoenix arizona mid-october in socal especially san diego late october i say especially san diego because we already have our guide for the san diego region what's the difference between a host a guide and a volunteer you ask well thanks for asking actually the volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city whereas the host might have a guest bedroom guest house or a place that we can park our van so we can sleep in our van we need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that and so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer guiding on the other hand though people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge a good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri, and he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything and it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced and it made us realize some people just want to 
provide the space and privacy, whereas other people want to take you out and show you around. And so if you're interested in being a volunteer, host, or guide, we have a special form for that. So please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you, touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bulgrillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. and. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you and uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Fury Underground app so the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that yeah people have read the stuff that you're reading uh that you're bringing into dialogue and so uh for instance the idea of the university by carl jaspers dedicated for it for they don't know what they do dedicated for him and then as people take the course over the years new people will be coming into that forum and so if you get in there early you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves and as new people add into the conversation it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through questions that you had with the first time that you read the text and so i'm really excited for this the reason i've built this website is because i think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way 
on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like Discord. And so stay tuned because there is an app on the way. Thank you to our donors. If you want to donate, go to theory-underground.com forward slash support. Thank you.